Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 10th, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. In rapid-fire succession, St. Paul gives one instruction after another to Christians, expecting to be preserved by the faithfulness of God until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Uh, good to be back with you. As we get started this morning, Pastor Wergau, we are looking at this text because it is a reading appointed for the season of Advent. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-24 is the epistle reading for the third Sunday in Advent in series B. B of the three-year lectionary. So again, this is one that we won't hear this particular year, but it is one that we hear during the season of Advent in other years. In terms of that context, the context of the season of Advent, what's Advent about and how is this reading from 1 Thessalonians 5 going to fit into that context? Yeah, exactly. So Advent, of course, is the beginning of the church year. Uh, And just as we end the church year or have ended the church year, um, with the emphasis on the coming of our Lord, uh, the second coming of our Lord, the day of our Lord uh, and his coming. Uh, so we begin the the Advent season, the new church year, uh, again, still emphasizing that coming. Uh, and, and of course, we're looking forward to his coming, the remembrance of his coming in the flesh in Christmas. But Advent is much more than just simply a, a getting ready for Christmas season. Uh, but it is a season of uh, repentance. It is a, a has been considered historically a penitential season uh, as we draw uh, attention to um, the coming of our Lord and also how we wait for him now for his for his second coming. And that's a big theme in Thessalonians for sure. So when Paul's kind of wrapping up his letter here uh, and giving these final uh, exhortations, instructions to his church, we see it in the context and that's kind of how he closes uh, this letter out. Uh, this is how the church is to be kept. Uh, as they await this coming of the Lord, uh, in which uh, all those things will be brought to to completion. But now as the church waits, it waits rejoicing, it waits uh, in prayer and in thanksgiving, as we'll see. And, and this particular reading falls uh, on the third uh, in the third Sunday of Advent in Series B. Um, and I believe, uh, I didn't check my notes on this one, the Philippians text, it's at least for the intro, it uh, that's very similar to Paul, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. It's in the intro it uh, for the third Sunday, and I can't remember if it is one of the epistle readings in one of the series or not. But the point being here is, is here you have it, and you have it as the kind of a general theme for the third Sunday. Uh, uh, historically, that's been called Gaudete Sunday or Gaudete, coming from the Latin for, for rejoice. And it's the one, if you have an Advent wreath in your church, this is when uh, the pink candle or the rose candle is is lit, uh, and and it kind of stands uh, a little bit distinct and a little bit apart from all the other Sundays in Advent, 
because as I said, you know, Advent is uh, traditionally a season of repentance, uh, a season of looking forward to our Lord's coming. And as we wait for the Lord and prepare for his coming, it's a season of repenting of our sins uh, and, and trusting in Christ. Uh, and this is kind of a slight break in the penitential nature of the season where the color changes and, 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 and we see the intro, it sings out rejoice. Uh, uh, and again, it's, it's the fact that that celebration of the Lord's birth is drawing ever closer. Uh, and so the church, even in its repentance, can't help but rejoice, uh, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, and again, that's that rejoicing Lord always is part of the introit for this Sunday, and and it is that Philippians four passage does come up in series C on the third Sunday in Advent, so we'll be looking at that really soon here on Sharper Iron as well, and it, yeah, we see that theme definitely here in First Thessalonians five, that theme of joy for this particular Sunday in Advent, but also then. The, just the whole text and that focus on the Lord's coming, fitting in the, the whole season of Advent. Now, you, you mentioned a little bit already of this, Pastor Wergal. We're jumping in here at the end of First Thessalonians, and it is anytime we pick out a particular text of Scripture to study, it's always good to have a bit of context. We have looked at one previous text from First Thessalonians in this study. It was in First Thessalonians 3. It's, it's been a little while since we did that. So help us with a little bit of that context. What should we know about this letter as a whole, what Paul's up to that'll help us with this, you know, almost the conclusion of this letter today. Right. We see this as a deep, uh, deeply uh, pastoral letter from Paul. Not that he's writing to a pastor like Timothy or Titus, but that he's writing to a congregation with this pastoral care uh, and concern that he loves this congregation, that he gives thanks to God for this congregation, and that he wants to exhort them and instruct them in the Christian faith because he because he cares for them. He had been separated with them after a kind of persecution separates him from this, and this is in Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 17, I believe. And um, now he's writing to this congregation that he knows, that he loves, with these instructions about how how they are to, to, to live in this faith and to conduct themselves. And we'll see that it's much more as he kind of, uh, especially with these exhortations, as he's kind of drawing through this letter and, and teaching this congregation and, and exhorting them. He's not simply just laying down all of these rules that they, that they need to abide by, but he is, he's teaching and exhorting them how they, uh, how, how the, their faith in Christ is then put into action, uh, how they are to live as the children of God, how their faith kind of overflows into their lives as God continues to to build them up and, and to grow them in the faith. Yeah, this is this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church. He had to leave uh, more quickly than he probably would have desired. You, you mentioned Acts, chap Acts chapter 17, and that does record how he pretty much got chased out of Thessalonica before he had a chance to do a whole lot there. And and we we talked a little bit about this with First Thessalonians three that he had been concerned what was what was going to be the status of the faith of this congregation. He'd received a really good report from Timothy that they were holding steadfast, and now toward the end of this letter, it, it's like he's doing through this letter what he said he wanted to do, which was to continue to instruct them, mm -hmm. and, and he certainly wanted to do that face to face. That was part of the, what we read previously. Now he's going to do some of that already just through this letter. And I think this is one of the more, it's one of the more famous passages from First Thessalonians, simply because the 
the phrases are so memorable. We were talking before air, you know, we've got verses 16 through 24. It's a, a lot of verses, but each verse is really short. And so I, I think this is going to be one of the more memorable sections from First Thessalonians. And there is going to be a lot of encouragement for us. And and probably I think you're you're bringing this out. Maybe you say a little bit more on this. This is going to be one of those sections where we want to be careful that we properly distinguish law and gospel, so that we don't so that we don't misuse this text as something that's going to hammer everybody over the head, but but rather use it in the the way that Paul intends. I think the proper distinction of law and gospel is really important for a text like this. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, because again, this this is stemming from their life of faith in Christ. This isn't Paul coming down heavy handed to do these things as if their salvation depended upon it. But this is, you are saved by grace through faith. You are children of God. Therefore do these things, right? It's an exhortation. And um, uh, in this way, then it serves not, not as a matter of beating it over their heads. You know, you better rejoice. You better pray. You better give thanks uh, or else God's not going to love you kind of thing to make them feel, you know, awful. But in fact, this is actually words of encouragement. In fact, uh, right before he begins these instructions and uh, at the end of the letter, when he's speaking about the day of the Lord, he tells them to encourage one another and build one another up. And and this is how they are built up uh, through through the proclamation of the gospel, through through this good news. And what we see, um, though we have these, these commands in 16, 17, and 18, and 19, uh, all these kind of commands hitting on it, we get to the end of it, which we'll, we'll hit on a little bit more, to say that it is God himself who is doing these things through you, who is sanctifying you, who is building you up. And so as we kind of parse these things out, we'll see how this is really God at work in the Corinth, uh, in the Thessalonian congregation throughout. So we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24 this morning. Paul writes... Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's the text for today. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 24. And again, that is the epistle reading for the third Sunday in Advent in series B of the three-year lectionary. Pastor Wergau, before we dig in very deeply to some of these very short phrases, just give us, again, the overall impression. What's Paul doing in this section of 1 Thessalonians? Yeah, um, this follows right after um, my heading in the ESV says final instructions. And I like to think of these as exhortations. Again, this is, this is, this is Paul's teaching how these congregations are how a Christian congregation conducts itself. And it actually starts with, with 12, which we, we, you know, we don't have in the pericope for this, for the epistle reading to actually um, it, it's related to um, uh, the pastoral office, even with respect, those who labor among you and are over you and the Lord and admonish you. Uh, Luther puts this in with the table of duties, I believe on what um, hearers uh, owe their pastors. Uh, and then he gets into their life together, be at peace among yourselves. So this is how the Christian congregation is to live uh, amongst one another. And then finally, it leads up into this uh, seeking good to do to one another and to everyone. And then we get into this uh, almost sense of, a, of a, uh, how they are to be 
uh, worshiping and living in their lives of faith. And, and what's interesting with these three verses, so you have three commands. You have, you have rejoice, uh, you have pray, and, and you have give thanks. And each of those has a adverb or an adverbial phrase that is kind of related to it. Uh, that is, that modifies the command. And so it's not simply to rejoice, but it is to rejoice um, uh, all the time, literally, <laughs> all the time. And uh, it's not simply to pray, but it's to pray without ceasing. And it's not simply to give thanks. It is to give thanks in all all things or in, um, I think the ESV has that translated right as to give thanks um, in all circumstances. That's right. So in all circumstances, in all things. And I think that's important for us to understand that those, that those uh, modifiers go with those commands uh, and that these, these um, modifiers are, have an unconditional aspect to them. Okay. So they, they're not subject to limitations. It's not like Paul's saying, rejoice most of the time or, or rejoice when you feel like it. Uh, it's, it's a matter of rejoicing at all times. Uh, and, and anytime I think we're dealing with things that we're dealing with unconditional aspect of something and something that's not subject to limitation or occasion or circumstance, uh, uh, our attention really should be turned to how this is actually accomplished because it does speak to us in a certain sense that, well, I can't rejoice always. I I, I'm limited as a human, or I'm limited by my sinful flesh, uh, and I can't pray without ceasing, or how does that take place? And, and, and that really does draw, like you mentioned at the beginning, a good proper distinction between law and gospel. So if you read these things as uh, in the way of the law, that these are a new commandment that is given to us, and it becomes a, a, a burden for us to bear, that's not what Paul is going at here. Uh, they, they offer no comfort or exhortation or even any consolation, and they're not going to actually give any hope to the to the congregation in, in, in Thessalonica because they, they can't rejoice always. So now we see more as we, we dig into this, what this actually means. How does the Christian not only rejoice, but rejoice at all times, or not only pray, but pray without ceasing, and not only give thanks, but give thanks in all uh, occasions and circumstances and all things. Just to, to pick up, and I know we'll come on come to this as we dig into each particular one, but just to kind of maybe try to, to draw a point to that, that I suppose, and I'll use verse 17 as an example, pray without ceasing. There is there is going to be the effect of this verse that I, I will, as I examine my own life, recognize moments where I have not prayed when I should. But it's and so in that sense, it is going to function as law that shows me my sin, that points me to my need for the Savior. And I think we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But that's not, that's not the only or even maybe primary purpose that Paul's writing it. He's not, try, he's not giving me verse 17, pray without ceasing, primarily to condemn me because I was a little bit more busy listening to you just a moment ago than I was praying. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not trying to do, or you know, like when I'm sleeping or something like that, it's, it's, it is intended more of an encouragement not to just beat us over the head. That effect is going to happen. The law will accuse us, but that's not his primary point. He's, he's doing something else here. Yeah. And I think it really does draw itself together when we get to the end. And, and this other phrase kind of governs, we shouldn't just think that like the end of um, verse sorry, end of verse 18, that doesn't just govern, give thanks in all circumstances, but he goes on to say, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And the will of God in Christ Jesus for you is 
giving thanks in all circumstances, praying without ceasing and rejoicing always. And I think anytime we talk about the will of God like that and properly, which we'll parse out a little bit more here, but when we talk about the will of God, we always see God's will uh, coming, butting heads with our will, right? With all our sinful nature. And so that um, we understand what God's will is, is, is not something that uh, I am always uh, fully in line with as long as I'm still in the flesh, right? So that's how we, uh, Luther talks about it with the, the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, God's will is done uh, when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, right? And, and so those are the things that actually don't want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come, but they're also the things, as we see here in Paul, that don't want us to rejoice, don't want us to pray, don't want us to give thanks. Um, and so you're, you're exactly right. These things will speak the law to us. These things will condemn us, but there's, there's more we're pulling out of this than simply God giving, uh, another list or Paul giving another list of rules, uh, for the Christians to abide by. And I really think it does again, again, it kind of wells up from this understanding of what is the will of God? How is God's will accomplished? And 19 verse 19, uh, the idea of not quenching the spirit. Uh, and, and as we get into this, we'll see, but we really see that this is, these are the fruits of faith uh, that God works in us and their foundation is not in our will or our desire or our trying harder to rejoice more or trying harder to pray or trying harder to give thanks, but the foundation is found in the why we give thanks, why we rejoice, why we pray, why we give thanks, the foundation of our faith in the gospel, in the word of Christ. I'm I'm really glad you brought up the third petition of the Lord's Prayer because that's where my mind went to with the will of God. And the the thing that I I think is very helpful with that is that you know the Lord's Prayer that's the that's the prayer that our Lord Himself gave us to pray, and and you know we know that He's going to answer those petitions. He's going to give us those things that we ask for because it's the prayer He gave, and so He's going to like when He tells us to ask for something and we ask for it, He's going to give it. And I think that's a, I mean, that's a huge way that we need to understand this, that, you know, how am I going to rejoice? How am I going to pray? How am I going to give thanks? These are things that God is going to do through me, in me, for me, as a part of his gift. And I, I, so I think that's a very helpful perspective to have that third petition in our minds as we think about what these things are going to look like in our lives as Christians. So let's, let's dig in, because even though these are very short verses, there's tons there. So start with verse 16, rejoice always. Yeah, so this is the, the like we said, this is where we get the, uh, the, the Gaudete for the third Sunday in Advent. So if you're hearing at church or uh, uh, in, in, in uh, Christian circles about rejoicing about this time, rose candles and all that kind of stuff, it comes from this understanding of rejoice, which is really just the verb form, form uh, uh, of the word for joy. Uh, so it's literally be joyful, right? Uh, and... and uh, now we need to understand what it means to be a joyful as a Christian, uh, because we don't want to take our cues from the world uh, in understanding joy as being be happy, right? <laughs> uh, because, uh, again, Paul says rejoice always, and I know that I'm not always happy. And, and this isn't Paul basically saying, don't worry, be happy, or uh, Paul saying, uh, forget about your circumstances and just get over it and and, and feel happier. Uh, joy is not necessarily about the absence of sadness or difficulty or unpleasantness. That, that's how we mold it in, in our minds and in our uh, our emotion. But there's a deep, deep, deeper theological meaning 
Uh, and again, I think it really does delve into the will of God here that we're talking about. So I think we find an intimate connection uh, with the will of God as well, but also with, uh, with love and joy. Uh, and, and Jesus uh, really draws this out. Uh, Jesus found joy in um, uh, doing his father's will and the love of God and sending his son and Jesus fulfilling that, that uh, sending and that will of the father. So in, in John uh, 15, uh, Jesus says, uh, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I think we, we first and foremost find this joy in the work of Christ and what he is doing. And, and Christ finds his joy even in the midst of suffering and the cross. And this is how Hebrews talks about this joy, uh, that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is Hebrews 12, verse 2. Who, looking to Jesus, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that joy was seen in enduring the cross and then in the glory beyond the cross. So, so it's not simply the joy is, is, is after, um, but the joy is and the love of God is seen as he travels through this, through suffering, through death, and into glory and resurrection and glory. Um, it's not simply Jesus just wishing to get this over with, but it is a matter of Jesus' true joy uh, that it was what was set before him and enduring the cross. And then really that's how we understand as Christians joy, finding our cue first and foremost from, from, uh, from what Jesus did, which is why it's going to really make sense when we say rejoice at all times, in all, all things. Um, uh, because we see that really joy is this love in action. Uh, and it's seen first and foremost, again, in the love of Christ in action, in his death for our sins and in his resurrection from the dead, because that is love. Uh, not that we love God, as John tells us in 1 John 4, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So now the Christian finds his joy and his rejoicing then in that place in Christ. Christian rejoicing is proceeding from faith in Christ. And our joy, I like to think of it as our joy spills over from what Christ, of Christ's joy that he has shown and given to us. And so we find our joy and our rejoicing as a gift given from God. In fact, Paul lists this in Galatians 5. Joy is one of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Uh, this, this, these are gifts given to, to us by the Holy Spirit. They're gifts that are given from, from God, and they're gifts that are, are, are uh, first and foremost found in Christ, and then secondarily by faith in us. That, that having that in mind about what we really mean about joy makes perfect sense that Paul would say, rejoice always at all times. And that means we rejoice even when we don't feel it. We rejoice even when all circumstances would dictate that we shouldn't be rejoicing. We rejoice because what is sure and certain throughout all of this is the joy that Christ had, his love and action for us, which is why Peter can even say, and I'll bring up Peter here in 1 Peter 4, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, right? That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So 
The Christian doesn't just rejoice in the glory that is to come in the coming of Christ, rejoices even in the midst of present circumstances and suffering, which is exactly why Paul is relating this to the Thessalonians. He had just gotten done talking about the day of the Lord coming and looking forward to that, right? Um, but now we're here and now we're waiting. We're not there yet. We're looking forward to it. But now here and now, even in the midst of persecution, suffering, even though I, Paul, can't be with you, even though I want to be, I rejoice and I'm telling you to rejoice because Christ um, is our savior from sin. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much there just in those two words, rejoice always. And I appreciate you drawing the connection between joy and love. I just, you know, again, not having done the whole book of First Thessalonians right now, but the previous text in First Thessalonians 3 that we talked about, Paul prayed that the Lord would cause the love of the Thessalonians to increase and to abound. And, and with that, then, so the joy is going to increase and abound. And I think, you know, even with what you're talking about, what is what does this joy really look like? You know, just recall Paul's context there with the Thessalonians. He'd been run out of town. He was concerned about this congregation. It was not the, you know, it's probably not the way you draw up a mission start, is that you go into town, preach the gospel, people believe, and then you get run out by the enemies. It's probably not the, the blueprint that most church planners follow. Right. But still, <laughs> even in the context that, that, that that's the context, this joy is still there. And so it is, you know, it, it's more than happiness. I think sometimes we're very quick to say that, and rightly so. We we should be careful though, that so we so that we don't think that the Christian life is all one of sadness and sort of like being you know trying to be joyful even when we're always sad. There is a there is a happiness right. to the Christian faith, and I, I think we would do well to remember that as well. Just as and again, I know that's not the the main thrust, perhaps, but we don't want to fall off too far on the other side and forget that there is a, a happiness. Mm-hmm to the Christian faith also. Perfectly right. Yeah, exactly. I think we are really reactionary. Yeah, I'm, I'm more so than that a lot of times about people not placing, making their emotions or their happiness into an idol, of course. But but yeah, we're also not Stoics. And and it is a sense that we really do. Uh, but that, And that's even where our joy finds even a greater fulfillment, that our happiness, that God does give us these good gifts. Uh, and we'll see this with Thanksgiving as well. Those things that make us happy, that make us joyful. You know, we're not in hell. We, we, we have these good things of creation and these things that we do rejoice in. Uh, and find find contentment and joy in. And those things are actually even more so sanctified, knowing that they actually come not because of any merit or worthiness in me, not because I've earned this, not because I deserve it, but because I have a kind and gracious Heavenly Father who has given me these things, uh, even despite my unworthiness in receiving them, and who has, who has even allowed me, by His grace, to be happy, <laughs> right, and to experience That's, joy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And and I the way you're you're saying that and that's going to we're going to talk about that again I think when we get to Thanksgiving is that that's going to the joy the Thanksgiving it focuses a lot more on the source not from the the gift itself but from the one who gave the gift. And we'll we'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning with Pastor Sam Wergau. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 10th. We're studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24 with Pastor Sam Wergau. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, prior to the break, we looked at rejoice always in verse 17. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Take us into that verse. Right. Uh, and so, again, just like we had before with the rejoicing always, all, all of these exhortations that Paul are giving— that, that Paul is giving here are kind of governed by these these uh, adverbs that uh, are, are are speaking of them in an unconditional, unlimited manner. Uh, and so, if we again, if we view these, if we review uh, like our rejoicing always, if we view if we view our prayer as uh, this as simply being a matter of our work, then this exhortation really becomes crushingly demanding. Right? Pray unceasingly. How can I do that? Uh, it, it, it's, I'm, it's impossible for me to pray without ceasing if I'm simply talking about prayer as my work, as the uh, um, me verbalizing my thoughts and my uh, petitions to God. Uh, but when we view prayer as the voice of faith, as, as prayer that which comes from, from the heart, as dear children ask their dear Father in heaven, uh, as my faith in, in God confesses itself, uh, and speaks not only in a confession, I believe, but in a confession of, of, um, of speaking directly to God, uh, then, then we see that it becomes uh, based and resting in the promises of God. We see this actual exhortation as a great comfort, that this is, this is something that the Christian uh, uh, is given as a gift, this faith to pray, uh, and with the knowledge that they have a kind Heavenly Father who hears them. Uh, to pray without ceasing doesn't mean that I'm always speaking my prayers, of course, to God verbally. Uh, in fact, our Lord kind of warns us against that in Matthew 6, right? When he says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they're going to be heard for their many words. So it's not about the number of words, but it is about the idea that our faith in Christ unceasingly receives and lives in these promises of God and unceasingly also then is calling upon God. Uh, and and we remember that that uh, this is the kind of the foundation comes from 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 uh, just like with rejoicing and, and joy for the christian uh it starts not with the christian but it starts with with christ and it starts with what what he has done and i think it's really important for us to remember who is the only one who can pray and the only one who does pray without ceasing and that is our 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 god uh and we we Sometimes we get a little confused in this. Okay, wait, I thought we pray to God, right? But but the scriptures describe it as both, both uh, Christ and the Spirit's intercession for us, as well as our prayers uh, to God as well. So so I think it's really important for us to understand that um, the Lord gives us the Lord's prayer. Our Lord gives us the the Lord's prayer, and uh, starts it with our Father. And of course, we know that our Father speaks about our 
we all say our father, all Christians, because God is all of our fathers. We're all children of God, but we also know that we pray. Uh, the one who gives us the prayer is the only begotten son of God. So not only do we pray the our father with every fellow believers, but we but the only begotten son of our father, our Lord Jesus Christ, prays. And Paul talks about this in Romans 8 as well, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So, so we know that prayer is directed to, to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that uh, prayer finds its, its foundation not in you know, our, um, uh, our fervitude or, our, um, uh, or even our desire, but it finds its place in, in the faith in Christ and the words and promises of Christ that we have. Uh, and then that issues forth in, in this prayer. Uh, which is even unceasing, even when they're not spoken, because it speaks to the, to the whole, um, uh, the whole of our life and the whole of our being as Christians. And I think the connection to Christ's praying for us at the right hand of God the Father, the Spirit's praying for us as well. I think that's very well taken, because it it does make this again more than just this isn't Paul getting mad at you because you weren't praying over the break that we just had here on Sharper Iron. That, that's not the point. And I, I think particularly the way you connected to Christ is a, a gospel em- emphasis of this. And just in, in terms of, you know, one of the ways that I, I think about verse 17 in a very practical way, pray without ceasing, means that I'm able to pray at any time. There's There's no time when God won't hear, when God won't answer. And the way that I've described it that I find helpful, at least for me personally, is that prayer is a, a reflex for us as Christians. When something happens to us, the the response, the reflex is to pray. And and even, you know, try to another helpful way that I've there's two basic prayers. One is God be praised, the other, Lord have mercy. And no matter what the situation, no matter what the time, there's there's a prayer for that. I guess there's an app for that. There's a prayer for that. <laughs> that's that's I mean I think again to to try to put some flesh and bones on those words, pray without ceasing. I, I really appreciate, again, what you said about the connection to Christ praying for us. And those are just some of the ways that I've tried to, to help make that. Because, you know, pray without ceasing. Well, wh- what does that look like? Those are a couple of ways that I've tried to, to put some some reality. You know, this is how you put it into practice. Right, exactly. Because, yeah, we, we do fall into the danger, I think, when we, when we kind of start talking and understanding, rightly so, that, you know, prayer is... Um, uh, the, the voice of prayer, the voice of faith, sorry, that, that, that our Heavenly Father, to put these gospel emphasis on it are really good for a foundation, right? Uh, but we shouldn't use that then as an excuse to not pray, right? Uh, Jesus is praying for me, the Spirit's praying for me, I can just, you know, put it on cruise control and just coast through because I think the scriptures also do direct us to, you know, the spiritual exercises uh, and, and a good Christian practices of our life is to be about prayer, daily prayer, uh, praying often. And, and that takes work. It really does. I know we're saved by grace and through faith and not on account of our works, but the Christian life and the new obedience as we, as we, um, as, as we live as Christians is about this, the spiritual exercise. Uh, uh, the, the Greek word is eschesis. Uh, and this is what Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 4 with, with Timothy, right? This training for godliness, right? And it's not like, God does his part and I do my part, but it, it is, God has given me the ability, God has given me the gifts, and we need to fight that old Adam, uh, beat him down through contrition and repentance, but then also this new man in us being, being uh, raised up uh, to continue to be strengthened and exercised in, 
in, in hearing God's word and call upon him, calling upon him in prayer and praise. So take us into the next one. Give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah, give thanks in all circumstances. Again, so so we have this word uh, eucharisteo, uh, or the, the verb form eucharisteo. This is where we get actually the term eucharist uh, as a, uh, one of the names for the, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion. Uh, and again, this is in all circumstances or in all things. Uh, and, and just like with the other ones, this is a giving thanks. Just like rejoicing and praying, the Christian finds the foundation of his thanksgiving in something different than his circumstances. Uh, be they good or bad, uh, but finds uh, the foundation for his thanksgiving in the person and the work of Christ, which is why then we can give thanks in all things. Now, I know we're, we're not too far off of thanksgiving, right? Less than a month probably here. Uh, and, and, and probably heard a lot about what it properly means as a Christian to give thanks. If we haven't, here we go. Because it's really important for us to understand what Christian thanksgiving is all about and how it differs from, again, we don't take our cues from the world when it comes to the idea of giving thanks. Uh, because again, it, it it does include, and it's, it, it has these things of creation, the first article gifts that we give thanks to God for. Amen. Very true. We're thankful that we have stuff and comforts and happiness and family and food and all of these good things, excellent. And it's not wrong to be thankful for those things. But then Paul puts this word in all circumstances here, right? Which really makes us wonder, well, what does he mean? And I think it forces us to look a little bit deeper about what this giving thanks is all about. So all of these created things are good and they come from our heavenly father. We confess it in the first article of the creed, right? That he has given us given me my body and soul, uh, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them, clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, all that I have. He's given me those things, and he continues to take care of them, defending me from all danger, guard and protect me for sure. But then we say, those are all the things that he does give us, created gifts. Then we confess, again, this is the first article explanation in the small catechism, that, um, that, that he, all this he does purely out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit, merit or worthiness in me. And I think that's we're getting to the idea of, of why we give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, and this is where I say, I always teach, uh, when I teach the catechism, this is where you start to see the second article bleeding into the first article. Uh, we have the doctrine of justification, our redemption uh, is taught here even in the first article, even before we, we start teaching about Jesus' work, because we know that it is not because of anything within me, but always because of the grace of God, his fatherly divine goodness and mercy, that we have these things. And we see that mercy in the fact that Christ has redeemed us from all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil. So that really the source of all these created thanksgivings and blessings that we have, the reasons we have to give thanks, actually find themselves in what is constant throughout our life. The reason I say that is because if we think about Thanksgiving, we think about our situations, those things go up and they go down. We have plenty and we have want, we have sickness, we have health, we have all of these things throughout our lives. And it seems like it's always up and down, back and forth. And if our Thanksgiving was based upon that, giving thanks was based upon that, then, um, then where's the line? You know, when do we give thanks? Because I have something now and then it's taken away from me. Do I still give thanks? And that's why Paul says in all circumstances, because that's the constant. That's the thing that continues through it all is that above all else, we give thanks that all of the blessings we have in body and in soul are given by God's grace for the sake of Christ, uh, who has died for my sins and who has risen from the dead. So our salvation is secure, not in 
um, not in any circumstantial or any, anything with our circumstances, but in the death and resurrection of Christ. And because Christ has risen from the dead, we give thanks. And because Christ has risen from the dead, no matter what we find ourselves in all situations or, or, or all circumstances, everything's okay. Hmm. Yeah, as, as you're talking about all three of these, the rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And again, that the adverb on each one, I, I think, again, just listening to you talk about them, the adverbs there are a lot less about, you know, again, Paul beating you over the head saying, well, you forgot to do it that one minute or or in that one instance. It's it's a lot less about that and a lot more about pointing you to the whole the whole point of this. And this is going to take us, I think, into the, the way this ties together with the will of God. The reason I can rejoice always is because the Lord is always there. The reason I can pray without ceasing is because the Lord is always listening. The reason I can give thanks in all circumstances is because all circumstances are gifts from God. And those, I mean, I think those adverbs are really pointing us a lot away from ourselves ultimately and pointing us ultimately toward the Lord as the source of all these things, just with the matter of Thanksgiving particularly. You know, we'll ask that question sometimes around the Thanksgiving holiday. What are you thankful for? And as you said, that's not bad, right? We want to we want to recognize the things that we have that we should be thankful for. But more important than that is who are you thankful to? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's where the you know giving thanks in all circumstances is meant to point us. It's meant to point us toward the source who is always there, always listening, always giving. And I, again, I think that's where this matter of the will of God in Christ Jesus really helps to tie all of this together. Yeah, exactly. So when we talk about what is the will of God, and I mean the most basic way we understand the will of God, not to oversimplify things, but I think we can here. The will of God is that you be saved from your sins, that you not die, that you not go to hell, right? That you not be condemned for your sins, that you believe in Christ and have salvation. That's God's ultimate will because God is love, right? <laughs> and and, yeah. and the, the loving God still, I mean, he's still a just God. He still has the demands of his law that we cannot meet. But that's also why we see the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so that is the will of God, uh, which Paul then talks about our sanctification, right? Uh, um, uh, or he talked about that earlier in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 3. Uh, this sanctifying work of God uh, is seen, uh, that that's the will of God and, and our sanctification. So I don't know if you want to go a little bit more into the will of God. We've talked a little bit about it, some, but... Uh, I, I think, I mean, I, I, we could we could probably spend the rest of the time talking about the will of God and, and it's in a variety of ways. But I think, you know, we've those these verses, 16, 17, 18 of these verses are probably the best known. And sometimes we maybe don't spend quite as much time on the, the rest of it. And I think there's there's material there that we want to cover this morning. So let, let's go into verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. You've mentioned that briefly. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? How does it relate to what we've talked about so far? Yeah, the more and more I'm looking at this with the previous three verses, I think actually do not quench the spirit is introducing introducing anything new but i think the idea is that and of course the spirit here we're talking about the holy spirit and i think the holy spirit's the one that that uh that delivers these these things over to us right uh the the holy spirit's the reason why we can rejoice without ceasing and and or, uh, rejoice in all things pray without ceasing and, and give thanks in all circumstances because the holy spirit's the one that gives us faith in christ by which these are the these are the fruits of them. Uh, often this time, I think uh, you've probably heard it before. Uh, the listeners have when you talk about do not quench the spirit. I think this is uh, abused because uh, sometimes when people are talking about you're being too stodgy, you're you're focusing too much on doctrine or or right practice, and you're squelching the spirit. Right, you're focusing way too much on the sacraments or the liturgy, and 
those are the things that are quenching the spirits. But I think actually it's just exactly the opposite, right? Because we want to understand rightly who the whole, what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the Holy Spirit and how, how the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works. And, and, our, and our confessions, of course, the Lutheran confessions speak about this in the Augsburg Confession in Article 5, when it talks about the, um, the, the ministry of the church, uh, uh, the preaching office, so that we may obtain this faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted through the word and sacraments as through instruments the Holy Spirit is given, who works faith when and where it pleases God and those who hear the good news that God justifies those who believe that they are received into grace for Christ's sake. This happens not through our own merits, but for the sake of Christ. So we see, of course, how does the Spirit work? Where should we look for the Spirit? The Spirit is found in the means, in the Word, in the sacrament, because that's where God in His Word has promised the Spirit to be working. Faith comes by hearing in Romans Romans 10, 17, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Um, so that gets to why Paul's talking about don't squelch the Spirit. It doesn't mean, you know, um, uh, don't, uh, don't, 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 uh, don't uh, kill my vibe or something like that, but it means keep preaching the gospel. Don't stop preaching the gospel. Don't stop um, receiving the spirit in the means by which he is coming to you. And again, I think that also relates to the next verse when we talk about prophecy, rightly understood. Don't despise prophecy. Now this could be talking about uh, prophecy as a special gift in the Thessalonian congregation. We know in the Acts of the Apostles that the prophecy, that there was this unique and special gift of, of prophecy uh, that was taking place and that was a part of part and parcel of the early church for sure but it means a lot more to us if we expand it even more especially when we get into testing everything and holding fast what is good and, and how does the spirit work now if we understand prophecy as god's word to us um then we understand that we don't squelch the spirit by not hearing his word, not receiving his gifts, and we don't despise the preaching of his word. Uh, but we test everything, test it all um, uh, through uh, through the lens of Christ. And, and uh, as 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, uh, no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. Um, and so, so again, I think this is a good like hinge almost as we kind of go into this latter section. Uh, Paul's just really following up his 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 other exhortations about rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, because we find the source of that, as we find the source of our faith and life and our sanctification, in the work of the Holy Spirit through the means of of His Word and and sacraments. It strikes me, and I know it's it's not a it's not a, a classic trinitarian like you know in the name of the father son holy spirit but you do have in verses 18 and 19 the will of god in christ jesus and then not quenching the spirit how the the holy trinity is working in concert to accomplish these things and i, I mean i think that that fits nicely with what you're saying about what it means to not quench the spirit and to not despise prophecy but testing everything you know is this pointing you toward the salvation that's yours in Christ Jesus. That's that's the test. You know, is first John 4 about testing the spirits and is this pointing out that Christ has come in the flesh, right? That these this is all working together, not some it's not just like like you said, not the way the verse gets misused, but this is I mean Paul's really I think centering everything here in Christ Jesus. Almost, and I know the the verse markers are where they are, but do not despise prophecies, but test everything seems to go together and then hold fast to what is good 
abstain from every form of evil seems to go together. Exactly, because that's the Christian life, right? And what is good is is that which God gives, right? Through 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 um, through word and sacrament, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that is what's good. And abstaining from from every evil, every form of evil, is what comes from the world and our sinful flesh. What what is diametrically opposed to God and what is good to faith in Christ and those things that pull us away from the faith. Uh, and I think this kind of uh, comes up too when when Paul to the Galatians talks about um, uh, the spirit and um, uh, the flesh, right? The the and I'm trying to think. I'm spacing on it. It's Galatians four five. Uh, um, the fruit of the spirit is in Galatians. 5. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of where. Sorry, I'm going to pull it up here. Sorry, that's all right. Because uh, <laughs> I wasn't planning on talking about this, but now I'm thinking about it. Um, yeah, well, I want to talk about that one too. Um, when he talks about so much, yeah, I know, right? Um, uh, the spirit uh, to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to help you yeah, right yeah, now, right, Pastor right. Virgo. The des- ah, there it is. Galatians 5.17. The desires of there the flesh go. are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's exactly what Paul's bringing up here, too, with the Thessalonians, right? Uh, uh, hold fast what is good. That is what's from God, what's from the spirit. Abstain from every form of evil, because these things are the desires of one are contrary to the other. And, and so the Christian is strengthened by the word, by the sacraments, continues forward in uh, uh, holding fast, receiving and, and, and staying grounded in what is good. That is what is given by the spirit uh, and, and, and abstaining, staying away from uh, those things which are evil uh, uh, because they are contrary to, to what is given by the spirit. Hmm. Now, if, if any of this section, verses 16 through 22, if you're wondering, what does this have to do with the season of Advent, verses 23 and 24, I think, really make it plain. So take us into the way Paul concludes this section, make some of those Advent connections for us in those last two verses of the text. Right. And what Paul, like we said, with Advent's about the coming of the Lord, both his past coming and remembering that at Christmas, his present coming to us in word and sacrament and his future coming. Uh, again, on the final day, but I think especially because he's he's coming off of verse uh, uh, the beginning of verse five, talking about the day of the Lord coming, the coming of the Lord at the end of verse four and the beginning of verse five. Uh, we really are looking forward to this coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the benediction of the blessing that he gives is that God would himself, God himself. So he's the one doing this would sanctify you completely um, and your whole being, spirit, soul, body. That that would be kept blameless, not be, not because of anything within you. Because remember, it's God doing the sanctifying, God doing the making holy through the forgiveness of sins in his means of grace. And by those means, may God make you holy, sanctify you, so that you're kept blameless, not by your works, but by faith in Christ at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, the final coming really is what we're talking about here because this is where Thessalonians are in the context of their life of faith now as they live in this this world even under persecution even with all its evils even when they 
uh, are not in circumstances that seem joyful or situations where you think you should be giving thanks or, uh, or, or they're limited by their flesh and not being able to pray without ceasing. But God himself will sanctify us through his word and through his sacraments to keep us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then that's why I think 24 is the best when it ends. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So again, there's no doubt that Paul's uh, that, that this Paul is not about the business of just heaping on demands of the law because he's saying, even when you're faithless, he who calls you is the faithful one. He is the one who is going to accomplish this in and for you. So find your, hold fast to that, hold fast to what is good and find your place in your coming Lord who is coming again, but who is even now coming to you to sanctify you completely. It's still God at work in you and in in his congregation, in his church uh, to do these things. That last verse of our text, that the, the faithfulness of the Lord and, and he's the one that's going to accomplish it. It's amazing that that theme of Advent is one that I don't know that I had I'd caught before doing this series and pulling all these Advent epistles out. You know, this was a, a theme that we saw in 1 Corinthians 1, which is also a, a reading in series B for the first Sunday in Advent, but also then in Philippians chapter 1. You know, 1 Corinthians 1, you get God's faithfulness at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul expresses the confidence that the one who began the good work would bring it to completion. Mm-hmm. And here now at the end of this epistle, again, that faithfulness of the Lord is on display to bring things to the completion, to one, I think, to bring the whole of history to completion at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then two, to bring you there in faithfulness in this Christian faith that will save you. That that faithfulness of God is on display. What a what an important Advent theme mm-hmm. as as we're waiting for the coming of the Lord to know that God is faithful, that He's going to do what He's promised. I, I guess something that I don't know that I I necessarily had picked up on as as strongly going through Advent without doing it like this. So uh, one of the benefits for me personally of this series is, is seeing that theme. Pastor Wurgau, we got about a minute left to wrap things up. Help us to see our coming Savior, Jesus Christ, in 1 Thessalonians 5. Yeah, I kind of want to just draw a little bit on something you just said about the Advent theme and, and, and uh, God's faithfulness, because you're right. I mean, Advent is about bringing us up to uh, the remembrance of a, of a major completion of God's faithfulness and promise to his Old Testament people, right? The given to, to Adam and to Eve at the fall into sin, continued through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this continuals, God being faithful to his people in that fulfillment of that in the birth of Christ, right? There is God's faithfulness in that first coming of our Lord in the flesh. And then Paul pointing them forward to the faithfulness of God in his second coming that he will come again. And between then and now, he will preserve you and keep you in that faith because he is faithful to his promises. He is faithful to his people. Uh, uh, and, and, and for that very reason, uh, as we've kind of pointed out, the people of God rejoice always. They pray without ceasing and they give thanks in all circumstances because God is faithful and he will accomplish these things. And that is the foundation of all of our faith in Christ uh, and of every season of the church here, but especially as we draw through Advent and into Christmas, we're reminded of that faithfulness of God in the flesh of Christ Jesus. Pastor Sam Wario is pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana, helping us today with 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 24. 
Pastor Wargal, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, always a pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this text or any of the other Advent epistles, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week. Thank you.